Morena, everybody. It's great to be here. Thank you for your welcome. One of the things that um, we have really come to value over the years is the recognition that everything begins in God's presence. And that's going to be the theme of what John and I are both sharing this morning. Everything begins in John's presence, in John, in God's presence. Thank you. So right at the beginning, when we um, look in Genesis 1, we see that God revealed himself through speaking. He spoke and the worlds were created. The spirit presence, God is spirit. And I think sometimes we forget that. We get so caught up in our logical, um, instructional, um, organizational realm that we forget that God is actually spirit. But as the spirit hovered over the waters, God spoke and he brought the earth into creation. And so his voice was creational, and God's nature and character never changes. And today, God is still creator God. He creates new life out of the old. He creates reconciliation out of hatred and bitterness. There's all sorts of things that he's doing, but it begins with his presence. In Genesis 2.5, the next time we read about his voice, it's instructional. He gives the children of Israel instructions and warnings. And Jono and I really believe, and it's something that's a, a common value amongst YWAM, is the criticalness of hearing the voice of God. And the voice comes from his presence. So everything of value always begins in his presence. As we go through the scriptures, we look at the patriarchs. God spoke to the patriarchs. And he gave direction um, for Abram. He, gave, he had a prophetic voice of blessing. And he said, I will make your name great. We go on to Moses, and it was a relational voice. He spoke face to face with Moses as a friend. And one of the things that um, brought me to the Lord was when I saw a group of young people worshipping, and um, the, the lines of the song that they were singing was, and now I've met him face to face, and I've felt the wonder of his grace. And I was a good church kid, and I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. I've never seen God face to face. I've never felt anything apart from judgment. And, um, and that's not what we're talking about today. The presence of God is when he speaks to your heart and he will lead you, direct you, guide you, give you purpose, give you your identity, and also he will reveal his ways to you. And with Moses, um, Moses asked God to teach him his ways, and God's response was, my presence will go with you. And so my challenge to you today is, do you know the presence 
Do you hear the voice coming from his presence? So there was the creational voice, there was the directional voice, there's the relational voice. And then he gave the law to Moses and it was written. So not only was it something that they could hear, it was something that they could read or it was inscribed in those days. And then we go on through the Bible and, and God speaks to the prophets and he spoke through drama. If you read Jeremiah and some of these other prophets, it's quite eye-opening, the sort of dramatic things. I won't go into all the details, but have a look there and you think, my goodness, if we did that today, you'd be thrown in jail. But God spoke dramatically um, because he really wanted the children of Israel to know his presence, to know that they had someone that... Um, they belong to and that they had a future and a life with him. We go past the prophets, go into the New Testament and God is still speaking. And Matthew records that God's presence was heard because it was revealed through dreams and visions. And in church today, there's a lot of people who just poo-hoo dreams and visions, and they either say it's demonic or that it's... Um, it's your imagination, and the other thing, it's subjective. There's all these things about being subjected. If you take subjectivity out of the Bible, there's not much left. Love is subjective. God is love. So then you've got to take that out of the Bible. And God is spirit. And we were worshipping him this morning, and he calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's when we know his presence and we are aware of his voice. So after Matthew and all the, the Gospels, we, well, we come to the Gospel of John, and Jesus again is speaking, and that relational voice is heard. And in John chapter 10, I believe every Christian should really have a handle on what John 10 is all about, because it talks about, um, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, they hear me, and they follow me. If you do not hear the voice of God speaking to you, then there's something really amiss with your Christian life. Your Christian life is not adhering to a set of religious principles. It's a relationship with a God who lives. It's a relationship with a God who speaks. And how God speaks to me, how God speaks to you may be different, but the key is he speaks and he's present with you if you are open um, to be aware of his presence. So we go on through um, John and we come to chapter 12 and it's talking about the Passover. And in verse 20 it says that um, all the people were going up to Jerusalem to the temple to, um, to celebrate Passover and it says Greeks were there with them going up to the temple. There were Jews going up to the temple and of course the disciples and Jesus were going up and then Jesus um, speaks and talks about his um, death coming up and then he talks to God himself and he says, glorify your name. 
And the scripture records there that God spoke from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. God spoke, everybody heard it, but it's interesting to see how they perceived it. It said some people thought it thundered. And I thought, I bet that was the Greek. The Greeks, thinking in their mind, analysing it. It was a noise, it must have been thunder. And then it said others said it was an angel. And we've already heard that in Matthew, God was speaking through angels about um, the coming of the Messiah. And the Jews were used to having angelic um, visitations. That was something they were familiar with in their religion. So they attributed it to angels. But we've got the scriptures which were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it says, God spoke. How do we know what God said there? Because John had been in the presence of Jesus. He walked with him, he knew him, he knew his voice. So go on through again, um, and it says, um, Jesus in John 16, 7, he says, unless I go, the counsellor will not come. And the different words that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit is counsellor, advocate, or one of the ecclesiastical words is paraclete, which means the one who walks alongside. And what's that speaking to us about? His presence. The presence of the Lord walking alongside, encouraging. The presence of the Lord being our advocate. You know, people say to me sometimes, you know, there's nobody who's ever cared for me and they get into this um, victim mentality but not realising that Jesus himself is an advocate, that the Holy Spirit's an advocate before God to bring us to that place where we're in fellowship and really understand the heart of a father. And he is counsellor. And there are so many people that need counselling today. And mostly it's because they've walked away from the one who speaks, the one who cares, the one who leads, the one who directs, the one who gives them identity and who he has created them to be. <clears throat> He will guide you into all truth. There is so much that we are battered with, with what we see, what we hear, what's on the media, what's through the internet, and there is a lot of untruth, there's a lot of false news. How can we know truth? By being in his presence. Because Jesus is truth. He is the embodiment of truth. He speaks truth, he is truth, he has the spirit of truth. He sent us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And we can only know that if we take time where we step back and spend in his presence. In Acts 2, it goes on, this is going right through the Bible, just doing a brief overview. It says that the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people. 
And we think that that was just a one-time event and that's been and gone. John and I were in Jericho um, a couple of years ago and a few years ago and we stayed with a, a Catholic family there and they um, it's in the West Bank in Palestine and um, as soon as we walked into the house they welcomed us in wonderful hospitality and they said we're Catholics but we're followers of Jesus. But we're followers, do you get that? We're followers of Jesus. They were so determined that we would get this thing that they were followers of Jesus. And we said, well, when did you become followers of Jesus? And they looked at each other and they didn't quite get our question. We said, well, you know, you're sort of of Arabic background and... You know, traditionally, Arabs, we don't consider them as Christians. You know, we don't sort of see many Arabic Christians. And they looked at us and they said, at Pentecost, of course, and they could trace their Christian heritage back to when their ancestors were there in Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit was poured out and the Bible records that the Arabs there received the Holy Spirit. And today, they are living in truth. We have seen, you hear so much political stuff, and I'm not going to get into politics, but we have seen reconciliation between Arab and Jew. We have a Jewish friend, we know Tarsada, who was an, uh, a, um, an Arab man who used to be Yasser Arafat's um, assassin, and he has slaughtered many Jews, he has come to know Jesus, and he and Yaron Sachs, who is a Messianic believer, went to Northern Ireland, and they preached on reconciliation. And the Irish said, if a Jew and a Palestinian can have that, then there's hope for us. How did they have reconciliation? They didn't go to where God wasn't and begin to demonstrate it all the wrong. They went to his presence and they were changed. They were healed. They were delivered. And reconciliation came where they became one new man. The presence of God. And then as we go through, finally in Revelation, it says he calls us to come to take the free gift of the water of life. God speaks out of his presence with us, but do we give him time? Do we step back from all the busyness that is in our life and allow the quietness to come inside our hearts so that we are in a position to be able to experience his presence and hear his word? Awesome. So do you remember the song? Emmanuel, Emmanuel, his name is called Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in us. His name is called Emmanuel. Now, we all know that Jesus' name is Emmanuel, right? God with us. His presence is with us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we come into a gathering like this, 
We are the people of God coming in the presence of God to join with one another in magnifying the presence of God on earth. But sometimes we're waiting for the presence of God. Waiting for God to do something. Waiting for a feeling to come. Waiting for an event to take place. And uh, the big problem with that is, is the world is waiting for us to reveal the one whom we love and adore and walk with and in. And so we've got to learn how to really manifest the presence of God. And if we don't manifest the presence of God, then we don't have the evidence that God is real. You know, so there's a whole lot of people who, who want to constantly quote scriptures at people and expect them to understand and align themselves with the scripture, but of course people don't. Jesus said this, he said in John 5, 19, he said, um, I do nothing unless it is something that I see the Father doing. Now, Jesus was standing on earth in a human body, just like you and me, and he was um, walking in the person of the Holy Spirit because when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him and filled him the same as the Holy Spirit comes upon us and fills us. And he, he said, I do nothing unless it is something I see the Father doing. So he could see the Father doing things and it was really easy just to join in with what the Father's doing. Do you know, I, one of the questions that we most get asked is, what is the will of God for my life? That's the wrong question. It's not about you. <laughs> it's what is the will of God? And when we know what the will of God is, when we can see what the will of God is, then we join in with what he is doing. Jesus said in, in John 5, he said, my father has been working right up to this very day, and I too am working. Actually, a better translation of that is that I join him in his work. So Jesus could see that God was doing something, and he joined in with what God was doing. Now, Mary quoted the Genesis scripture, but I like the scripture in John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, you know, there's this great emphasis on the Word. Now, I know there's some roots in this church of the Brethren Foundations, which is a good thing. But you know what? Sometimes people get really bound up with the Word of God. It's all about the Word of God, but in the beginning, the Word was God. The Word came out of the presence of God. The Word did not create the presence of God. The presence of, out of the presence of God, God spoke, and in due course, down through history, men began to write down what God said. His Word came out of His presence. His presence didn't come out of His Word. And we need to, to focus more on the with and the was than on the Word, because what happens is people get really caught up with arguing about what the Bible says or doesn't say, and they don't remember to walk with the one who is and was and is to come. So God wants us to actually get connected with his presence again. You know, it's interesting that when the, the disciples um, were walking with Jesus, that uh, this is further on my notes, so don't skip there, Chris, but um, when, when they'd been with Jesus, they, they, the people that observed them could see that they were unlearned men 
that had been with Jesus. Because having been in the presence of God, they were changed. And what we need to learn is that being in the presence of God leaves its mark on us. It changes us. You know, I've been a Christian 45 years, and um, I'm just as enthusiastic about my faith now as I was 45 years ago. But you know, I went through a difficult period of time, and that difficult period of time was when the Christians got a hold of me and tried to indoctrinate me into what a Christian should be. And it created a very difficult time in my life because I was so busy trying to be what the Christians wanted me to be that I stopped walking with Jesus. And sometimes what we've got to do is is break out of this religious activity of being what everybody else thinks we should be and get back to just walking with Jesus and reflecting His glory and grace on everyone we come into contact with. Amen? Can we have an amen? Are we still a little bit Pentecostal here? Hallelujah, I know your roots, come on. So, it's always about the person. The Word is a person. It's about Him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. His words, um, He inhabits His words with spirit. If If His Word is not inhabited with His spirit, that's just dead, letter. And you know, I don't know about you, but... Um, At some of the most difficult times in my life, I've had some wonderful Christians quote scriptures at me. Have you ever had that happen? And most of the time, it just brings condemnation, you know? And, uh, you know, I've had to stand with a lot of grieving parents over the loss of a child. And, you know, there isn't a scripture that helps at that time. It's a hug they need. They need presence. Presence is what people need when they're going through grief They don't need someone coming quoting scriptures at them or telling them that the God of love has somehow had a personality change and has a greater purpose in taking their child away from them rather than letting them enjoy the blessing of children. You know, we sometimes think that Jesus has has mental illness, that some days he's kind and he's loving and he's merciful and compassionate, and other days he's judgmental and scary and he's going to take away everything you love. We've got to decide what kind of God we serve. And it's really difficult for me as a pastor to listen and to watch and to try and manage Christians who would rather be right than loving. Because love comes out of the presence of God. And so I I just want to exhort you and even challenge you that we want to be a people of His presence. We want people to come in here because they recognize that we carry the presence of God. And you know, <coughs> excuse me, there's so much cynicism, skepticism out in the world about the church. And it's often because our mess- we're more concerned about our message than the messenger. We're more concerned about our need to be right than our call to be loving and merciful. Anyway, we, we absolutely believe that everything begins in his presence and goes out from him to accomplish what he has spoken, decreed, and determined. That which does not have its beginning in his heart is corrupted by flesh, by human reasoning and preference. You know, and people will say, uh, you know, they'll attribute spirituality to certain styles of music. They'll attribute spirituality to certain kinds of dress or hairstyles or whether or not a person has two tattoos or not. We start attributing spiritual value 
to outward things instead of looking upon the heart. And God wants us to actually recognize that when a person's been in his presence, it's amazing that the most unusual, the most nonconformist people start to reflect something that is amazing and different and attractive. Amen? There's some scriptural idealism out there that has its core in man's interpretation and application of the Bible. And it is, it's man deciding for God and interpreting according to human perspective and value rather than according to the revelation of God's heart being revealed in his word. You know, as a pastor, I get asked a lot of hard questions. You know, for 40 years I've been asked a lot of hard questions. And you know, my answer most of the time is I don't know, because I don't. You see, just because the Bible says something doesn't mean it automatically applies to a situation. We've got to go and ask God. God has got to be the one that applies his word to a situation, not us. It's not for us to say that a person is qualified or disqualified, is blessed or not, according to our understanding of the Bible. It's, it's according to God's revelatory leading by his spirit from his presence to the right passage of scripture that is exactly the right word for that situation. Presence ensures that revelation is couched in the bosom of relationship and calibrated through the heart connection that we have with God. Otherwise, we use the Scripture like a weapon to either defend ourselves or attack other people. And folks, that just does not help the cause of Christ whatsoever. You know, Jesus found the woman caught in adultery who deserved to be stoned. And uh, he completely turned that situation around. Under the law... The, the Jews were doing exactly what the Scriptures told them to do, but Jesus turned it around. Jesus met the woman at the well who had had five husbands and was now living with another man, but he didn't condemn her. He actually had a conversation with her that led to a whole community of people being saved. You know, he, he broke all the rules. That's why they wanted to kill him. He didn't do it the way that the religious people thought he should do it. And he certainly didn't mind upsetting them about it. If you're feeling a little upset this morning, talk to Dean after we go home. <laughs> Biblical truth can only be accurately applied in the light of his glory and grace through an encounter with his heart and purpose. You know, we, we often sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look at his wonderful face, and the things of earth will be, become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. My experience as a pastor is that most Christians don't live in the light of his glory and grace. They live in the school of public opinion. And we need the light of his glory and grace in these days more than at any other time. You know, it says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But I've discovered that not many people have seen his glory or live in the light of his glory and grace. Glory and grace is manifested in his presence, it's not just descriptive of an attitude or, a, or a, you know, an environment. It's actually being 
in the presence of God where we encounter Him. The light of His glory and grace ensures accurate interpretation and understanding. Without it, one makes intellectual assessments. We decide what it means. We decide how it should be applied. You know, I've been wrong more times than I've been right, especially when I tried to do it in the futility of my own thinking. Often when I ask God, he has a completely different take on the situation. Now, I spent years going to God and apologizing for not being what I thought I should be. Until one day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, John, I want you to stop it. I said, stop what? I want you to stop apologizing every time you come to me. You say, Lord, I'm sorry I haven't spoken to you for a couple of days. Lord, I'm sorry that I haven't read my Bible for this period of time. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Stop it. Stop saying sorry. What kind of a relationship would it be if every time I saw Mary, I said, oh, I'm sorry, darling. Sorry, I'm not a very good husband. I'm sorry that I was late for dinner again. I'm sorry that I haven't taken the trash out. I'm sorry that I haven't put that picture hook on the wall. Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. (laughs) How stupid would that be? How much of a dysfunctional relationship would that be? But we do it with God. Because we we talk to God like he's not a real person. We talk to God like, oh, Lord, Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, because we're not quite sure who we're talking to. Lord, and we... And we put Lord in between every syllable, Lord, because Lord, we know, Lord, that you, Lord. You know, if I talk to Mary like that, Mary, 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 beloved Mary, <laughs> she would just think I was a twit. <laughs> now, I don't want you to get all self-conscious about your prayer, but it is indicative of the fact that we don't really believe we're speaking to a real person because you don't speak to real people like that. We are made in his image, remember. Personality comes from God. Fellowship comes from God. Friendship comes from God. We're made in His image. He's not in our image. And we only know what He's really like in His presence, not just because we read the recordings of other people who have been in His presence. Hmm. I think we'll jump down. So His presence makes the difference. God says, I am that I am. And the I am is the critical factor in the situation. Put him in the center of any storm and he redefines the situation. Bring him into any circumstance where there's a deficit or something lacking and he's the resource that resolves the problem. Without God's presence, our voice is just another voice. Without God's presence... His voice is not heard through our mouths. It's just words. Present changes us and transforms us and makes God's word in our mouths as significant as if it were coming directly from his mouth. You know, Mary talked about the scripture in Exodus where, where um, Moses was asking God, Lord, I don't want to go if your presence doesn't go. You know, God had commanded them to go. God had commanded the children of Israel to go into the promised land. But Moses said, we're not going just because you said it, just because it's written in your word. We're not going unless your presence goes with us. 
And then God, of course, said, my presence will go with you. Do you know, we all look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We know it very well. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Do you know, after Jesus said that, he said, go and wait in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. But Christians all over the world say, Matthew 28, we've got to go and preach the gospel. But but folks, Jesus, after that said, don't go until you have the power. Don't go until you've been endued with the presence. Don't go until you've been clothed with God himself. Because otherwise it'll just be you imposing your thoughts and ideas on other human beings. And they hate that. We think we're being obedient And obedience is only significant if it's couched in relationship. My obedience to my marriage vows are only significant because that woman sitting in the front row loves me and knows that I love her. She thinks I'm awesome. (laughs) And I think she's awesome too, but it's a relational dynamic. You know, we don't sit... In, the, in an evening and say, oh, we must just remember our vows tonight. <laughs> we don't get the book out, the manual, and say, oh, I think I'll just read the manual on Mary just so that I can be really connected with who Mary is. No, I look into Mary's eyes and I say, I love you, darling. You know, as you get older, you do more looking <laughs> and sleeping. <laughs> I love you, darling. See you in the morning. Okay. So I want to just briefly tell you about a little bit of my, my pre- personal journey. Um, in my personal journey, um, I actually have connections with this church because uh, Hudson Salisbury was very influential in the charismatic movement in the, in the Hutt Valley. And I, I was going to Taita Anglican Church right back in the 70s. Hallelujah, Lorraine, I see you there. And, um, you know, I, I, was, I was a bit of a, a scallywag um, in those days. And uh, I was asked to be one of the youth leaders. They only asked me to be one of the youth leaders because they said they wanted me on their side. Because <laughs> I used to cause a bit of a ruckus. But, um, but anyway, I eventually became one of the youth leaders and, and became very influenced by Hudson and, and the... Apart Christian Fellowship family, believe it or not. I had my demons cast out by Uncle Jack. Anybody else had their demons cast out by Uncle Jack? Man, that dude scared me. And uh, had my demons cast out by Uncle Jack. But look, the thing is, I encountered the presence of God as a new Christian. I prayed a prayer beside my bed, went to sleep, woke up in the morning, changed. I, I tell people I got saved in my sleep. The world had changed. The presence of God came into my life. That born-again thing happened to me. And then I began to walk with God. I could hear his voice. I, 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 I was absolutely impacted by the presence of God. I went to the, the, the nightclub where Neville Johnson in Auckland um, used to do a Bible study on Tuesday night and have 1,500 people come to a Bible study. And they used to have worship before the Bible study, and then they'd sing in tongues And I stood there like thinking, wow, this is amazing. How do they do that? You know, and later on, excuse me, I um, 
I got filled with the Holy Spirit too, but that my initial experience was this amazing sense of God's presence. And I could feel it. And I was just a new Christian. I could feel the presence of God. It was like buzzing in my body. We've lost that, folks. You know, some people are cynical about those that go to church for a buzz. We should come to church with our buzz. Bring the buzz. Get in the presence of God before you come to church and bring him with you. Because David said these amazing things. He said, one thing I ask of the Lord and that's what I'll seek. I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. David saw something. He touched something. And then later on when he had sinned with Bathsheba, he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me because he knew that he was walking in something of God's presence that could be taken away. The essential element to who God's called us to be is walking in his presence. So I want to just leave you with a, a little bit of an application today. You know, Mary and I are so passionate about this, as you can probably tell. Um, you know, we've been in a Pentecostal church since the charismatic days, and we've been through ups and downs. Mary's been in our church for 50 years. I've been in our church for as long as I've been married to Mary. In fact, when I first went there, I had to call myself Mr. Mary Cook because no one knew who I was. <laughs> but, you know, we've been in a church a long time. We've been there through its ups and downs. We, we, we stayed even when we didn't like it. All my friends left or died. And I thought, you know, all the reasons for why I'm in this church have gone. Except God planted me there. And folks, we need to press on and press through. You have a great inheritance. This church has a story. And we need to stir it up. And, the, and those of you that know it need to tell it, tell it to those that don't know it. Right. You know, we're constantly telling the story to the, the new people that come into our church. And they come, you know, they come from this place or that place. And, the, and they've all got different stories. But we say, no, no, you've got to hear the story of this church. This is why we do things this way. Because... We're a, God, we're a church of his presence. Everything starts in his presence. Our church started from a prayer meeting. Worship isn't just something we do to fill in time until we have the word. We want God's presence to come. We want God's presence to actually take the word that is significant and make it real in our hearts. You know, half of what I've said today might be a load of rubbish. It's only the Holy Spirit that can take it and make it personally significant to those of you sitting here who are connecting with God's presence. But you know, it takes humility to come into God's presence. You've got to humble yourself to come to God's presence. You know, the, the Scripture says, if, if my people will humble themselves and pray, one of the most humble acts you can do is say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the answer is. I just know we need more of you. I don't mean to up, give God a whole lot of requests. I think what we need to ask God to do is to talk. I'm not asking you for something, God. I'm, I'm asking you for you. I want you to say to me whatever you want to say to me. I don't care if what you say to me is not something I want to hear. I just want to hear you speak. 
because when you speak, it makes me come alive. God said that some of the most troublesome things to me in the last few years. He's redirected me. He's corrected me. He said things to me I would never tolerate from a human. But because it was him speaking, even his corrections made me come alive. And folks, I'm not interested in maintaining a routine of 52 Sundays of Christian entertainment. I'm only interested in seeing the agenda of God increased and enlarged and extended beyond these walls. And that's only going to happen if you're connecting with the presence of God, not just with the theology. It takes humility to connect with the presence of God. You have to say, I don't know everything. Or what I know is nothing in the light of what I need to know to go on from this point in a fruitful, productive testimony of Jesus. It takes humility. It takes surrender to be a person of his presence. Surrendering your agenda. Surrendering your preference. Surrendering to God whatever that looks like. Even in your workplace, don't go there thinking you know what to do. Ask God, how, God, can I advance your agenda in my workplace? How can I advance your agenda amongst my children and my grandchildren? How can I advance your agenda in my relationships with my neighbors? How can, God, how can we be the people of your presence? You know, Christians were first called Christians because of the evidence of presence. We need to wait on God. Waiting on God means waiting. But not going, oh God, I'm waiting. It's like, God, I joy in your presence as I wait for you. We're not waiting for him to come. He's already here. Romans 8 verse 9 says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of God, they're not Christians, but you can become a Christian this morning before the cup of tea. I hope they have a cup of tea. Oh, good. Just really good. Folks, the Spirit of God is in you. Your body is the container. Let him out. Come out, Jesus. Show yourself amongst your people. Let your presence fill this place. Let your presence fill our hearts. Let your presence revive our homes, our communities. God, we long for your presence. And so this morning, if you know that you've been struggling and you've maybe even been running from God's presence, because sometimes we know what God wants, we're just avoiding it. One of the most difficult things for pastors to do is to stop trying to be a pastor and get in the presence of God. When you try to be a pastor, you're usually trying to meet men's expectations. I stopped trying to be a pastor a long time ago. Just love people. Just love people, especially love the people that don't like you very much. Actually, if you keep loving them, they can turn out to be your friends in the end. I stopped trying to be a Christian 20 years ago because I realized that all my efforts to be a Christian was comparing myself with other people. 
and I'm the best me that there is. So why would I compare myself with you? But you're the best you that there is. So stop comparing yourself. Because the presence of God mixed with your unique combination of clay is a beautiful vessel for God's purpose. So let's all stand together and let's, let's agree that we're going to be people of His presence, even though we don't really know what that means or where it's going to take us, except that it is going to revive God's church and it is going to make us alive with something that we can give away to other people, even if it's not with words. God, I pray for your people that you will satisfy them with the drink that only your presence satisfies, only the reality of your closeness and nearness can satisfy the longing of our hearts, Lord. Would you help us to turn our eyes and our hearts and our thoughts fully on you to be able to see what you're doing and join in? Would you help us to recognize the light of your glory and grace coming upon the difficult parts of our lives, the difficult decisions, the questions, and Lord, revealing the revelation that we need in your word, from your heart to our hearts. Oh God, I pray that you'd bless your people with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they can know you better. And that Lord, we will truly become the ones carrying your presence, coming together and magnifying you in this place. We give you the glory and the praise, Lord. I pray that no one will leave this auditorium this morning feeling isolated, feeling disillusioned, discouraged. Lord, would you give us courage to speak to one another and ask for that prayer, for that embrace, for that support that can only come as we share that little deposit of your presence that each of us carries. Lord, bless your people. Enlarge your people. Transform your people. Oh God, we need it. And we ask you to do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.